This is Female Focus with Audio Technica. Okay, so today we're welcoming Anna Laverty onto the show, who's a producer, engineer, mixer and writer, who's worked with people like Nick Cave and The Bad Seeds, Courtney Barnett, Paul Dempsey and Florence and the Machine, to name a few. So, you know, obviously um, the obvious thing at the moment, everyone's kind of stuck at home. Um, so how, how's it been going for you? You must be missing the studio or do you have a little home set up? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really missing the studio, but at the same time, I'm super happy to take a time out if it means people can stay safe. Um, I've got a I've got a spare room which has got some gear in it, so I've managed to actually mix an album at home, which has been really nice. Oh, nice, but but it's definitely been downtime for me. Mm. That's great that you've been able to mix an album there while you've been home. Some people don't feel, you know, understandably very creative at all at the moment because, you know, you're just not that inspired um, or some people aren't because there's just not a lot of, uh, I guess, stimulating stuff going on, is there? Yeah, it's really weird. I felt incredibly inspired and actually like I've been writing songs. (laughs) That's great. Everyone's different. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm just one of those people who like thrives on sadness misery (laughs) (laughs) yeah it makes me very very creative yeah okay um and um taking it back a little bit so did you always know that you wanted to be involved in music production I'm just curious as to what inspired you or did you perhaps have you know maybe an alternative career at one point that you considered no I ever since I was like 14, 15 years old, I wanted to be a sound engineer and that was just because I found out what the word meant, um, like what the title meant from my drama teacher in high school and I have never, ever wanted to do anything else. (laughs) Yep, totally understandable. (laughs) So your drama teacher Yeah, my drama teacher. So I was, you know, I was doing drama and we were doing a production of Annie Mm -hmm. in um, like year near 10 or something like that and um she was like well do you want to do the technical stuff and I was like sure I'll I'll push these faders up you know and she's like oh you can be the sound engineer and so that's where I sort of learned that word and then I sort of I loved music so much and on the back of records was always like engineered by produced by and I just created a job in my brain for myself and have pursued it ever since much better role in the school play as well than being, you know, one of the extras where they just give you a role that doesn't exist. It's much more important, Anna. I'm totally, I'm the worst actor in the world. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you there. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that um, later on, obviously, obviously it did, it did work out for you and you did end up doing it. And you um, were under the tutelage of award-winning producers Paul Epworth, who's worked with Adele, Primal Scream, and Ben Hilliers, who, who's worked with uh, blur you two and elbow and you honed your production mm-hmm. and engineering skills um working at maloco with you know working on releases mm-hmm. from block party florence and the machine and depeche mode so clearly yes. you know you're in good company there so um i guess starting with uh, what did you learn from paul and ben um you know during that time there and what was that period of your life like yeah it was pretty insane like i i moved to london from australia when i was I was 19, I'd just finished uni studying sound and I uh, went there with a bunch of friends and we just wanted to party (laughs) and do music and like I was managing a band at the time and all that kind of stuff and then 
I'd been there for a little bit and I was like, I really miss the studio. So, like, because I'd been at uni around studios and stuff, so I just started going and knocking on doors and I got work experience in a recording studio at Moloko. And then I got along really well with Ben Hillier and he asked me to look after his studio while he was in America recording the Depeche Mode record. And then when he came back, um, he was like, great, you didn't break anything. Do you want to just stay on as the assistant? And I did, and that's and he shared the studio with Paul. So it was just like such a cool, exciting, fun time, and I learned so much mm. is the short answer to that question. I learned because I learned all about the technical stuff and, you know, um, the rules at uni, and then I got out and I went into real recording studios on real sessions and I learned how to break all the rules and that's mm-hmm. the important stuff, you know? Yeah. Learning on experience, I guess it's just um, well, it's just process, I suppose. Um, working in a place like that with those kind of people, the things you must have picked up, tips and tricks, and you yeah, know, things not to do, all sorts. Oh, absolutely, mate! Like I just I learned so much, and I um, I still to this day use like little tricks and tips that I learned from those people, and they were all uh, a lot of it was work ethic. I learned how hard these people work, and that their success has not come to them from, you know, from anything other than hard work and mm-hmm. talent. Yeah, exactly. And um, obviously those uh, releases as well that you were kind of, I'm guessing you were a bit thrown in at the deep end, you know, at the time Block Party oh, yeah. were huge, obviously, and Florence and the Machine still are, and Depeche Mode, amazing. So what, what, how did you hone your craft working on those kinds of releases, all being, you know, a little bit different from each other as well in terms of music genre? Yeah, um, I I was absolutely in the deep end. But to be honest, like I I, I, probably, I maybe didn't realise that, or I didn't really care about that at the time. I guess the thing about it is every session, it, you kind of approach every session the same, whether it is like a session with Florence and the Machine, or whether it's a session with you know like your mates who are in a band. Mm-hmm. The process is the same. And so, um, and actually, to be honest, Florence was quite like young and unknown then. It was, we did longs, which was like, you know, a long time ago. And she was really young. In fact, we were about the same age um, when we were doing the record. And so we just kind of got along really well. And, you know, obviously, we were the only girls in the studio. So it was like, mm. we got along, we got along really well. So it was kind of cool. Oh, nice. But um, yeah, I think just working on those sessions you have to sort of approach it the same as working on any session because it doesn't matter who these people are. They, they're still vulnerable because they're in the studio trying to make a record. Yeah. And I guess, like you said, they were, you know, fairly early on in their careers too as well. So it's quite nice in a way you're both mm. feeling your way together. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with Florence. I mean, um, Block Party had been around for a little bit longer and obviously Depression Road had definitely been around for a bit longer. Mm. They had like, they had the, you know, they have very, very intense bands and there was like people camping outside the studio for a few days kind of vibes, but oh, wow. it was all good. It's all good. Surreal though, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it is super surreal. Like I remember feeling kind of sorry for them at some point because they'd been out there 24 hours a day for like a week and was like, should I go and get them a cup of tea? Because, you know, that was a large part of my role was giving people cups of tea and I was like, I feel like I should go and get some tea and they're like, no, don't. Don't yeah. approach it won't people end with who the are team. hanging out. They'll want to kick out. No. All sorts, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
yeah. Uh, when you look back then, or perhaps it was before then, I'm not sure, was there a moment when you thought, I'm really going to, you know, do this as my career, you know, not you're just in training or, you know, under someone's tutelage. Did you, was there a moment where you just thought, yeah, I can do this? On my own, you mean? Like yeah, going out any, on my own? On your own it? or just at um, all, I guess. I, I honestly, and I know this sounds quite crazy, but I never thought that it wouldn't be my career. Mm-hmm. I just, I just never thought that it wouldn't be. Um, and so... I just kept doing what I was doing and working away and working such long hours and really hard and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there was a moment so after I had, had come back to Australia and I'd been doing it for ages and ages, the guy I was working with was like, I'm not booking you anymore. <laughs> and I was like, what do, you, what do you mean you're not booking me anymore? And he goes, you know more than all of us. You have to go out and get your own work. And so it was a, it was actually a kick up the ass that made me go and start getting my own production gigs. Yeah. Yeah. I love that um, you, Which, know, you know, you never thought you would do anything else. That's just the perfect response, I think. It's just what you were going to do. Excellent. <laughs> I don't I don't know where that came from. I just I don't know. Now that I'm older, I realize how like confident that sounds, but at the time I I didn't realize I just had a super one track mind. Mm. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you, you speak about you know going out on your own. So when you did, how did you go about you know finding clients and work? So a lot of my early work as a producer, or like just the engineer, the only engineer on a project, was um. So I'd worked with heaps of bands when I'd come back to Australia as an assistant engineer or as mm-hmm. as an engineer under a producer, and then honestly. What happened was a lot of those bands broke up. So from the big budget label scenario, mm-hmm. broke up, started new bands, and then those new bands that didn't have a big budget would ring me and go, hey, you made everything we did sound really great. Can you do our new band? <laughs> and right. and that's, how, that's how I got pretty much all of that early work. And then, of course, from there, it just sort of snowballs into like word of mouth bookings oh. and stuff, which is, which is still how it is. Brilliant. Kind of worked out in a strange way then. Well, yeah, because I always remember like when I was quite young and I was doing this and maybe having a moment of weakness and speaking to my parents on the phone from London and my dad saying to me, you know, why don't you stick up like flyers in a rehearsal room? And I was like, that's just not how it works. Like the traditional <laughs> marketing techniques of people, like, you know, my dad's a tradie and like that's what, he would have done you know mm. you know to market yourself but that's just not how it is in the music industry and um it's really hard to explain that to people who don't get it yeah I yeah think that's the same with yeah. parents perhaps you know from a certain generation with any job you know just mark march in there and give them your cv and put it on the desk you're like yeah it doesn't really work like that anymore it, probably get arrested it or something <laughs> I mean honestly like I have not I don't have a cv and I have not had a cv ever for being a music producer mm. like I have I have a like a you know a half page bio and a discography that very occasionally I have to send out but usually to press mm-hmm. not for like not to get gigs yeah yeah just word yeah. of mouth I guess very weird um yeah it's I know as well that you um when you returned to Australia you worked obviously behind the desk for a lot of artists so I saw that one of them is Lady Gaga so um amazing what what project was that for and what was that like yeah, so um, 
in Australia, a lot of time when really big artists are touring, they're on a huge world tour. And so when they get to Australia, they are like, they've been writing for like six weeks or something on tour. And they're like, I just want to get in the studio and see, and just lay this stuff down and see what it sounds like, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was very much the case with Gaga. So she'd been on this huge tour. She got to Australia. She booked, um, I think it was a day in the studio sing thing where I was um, kind of basing myself out of at the time. And they rang, the people who are in the studio rang me and they were like, do you, you know, do you want to come in and do this session? And blah, blah, blah. it's Lady Gaga. And I was like, yes, right, <laughs> yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> and so, I, yeah, I came in and uh, did the session and it went really well. And she was in a super like vibe and it ended up being like five days or something like that. And we put down a bunch of tracks and um, two of them made the record. And I didn't think, I would ever hear anything about it again. Mm-hmm. And then um, this was when Discogs started, you know, like the online credits website. Mm-hmm. And one day I was Googling myself for my credits and oh. Lady Gaga popped up. They had credited me really well on the record. And I was like, damn, that is so cool, man. Like I love it when, you know, you work really hard on a project and you put everything into it and then afterwards without having to like be like hey please remember please remember to put me in the liner notes like you get credit you get credited for what you did i think that's super super class act and i love lady gaga for that (laughs) yeah definitely it's yeah she seems like i mean you can't really know a person i guess that she would be the type that would want to speak up for everyone though and acknowledge everyone's work i think her and her team absolutely like um I remember working on the project and it took a couple of days for her to sort of acknowledge that I was there because she had her own producer there and like Mm -hmm. her own sort of assistants and stuff. And then after two days, she was like, hey, thanks for helping. You you know, you're doing really, (laughs) you're doing great kind of thing. And I was like, cool, you know, nice to meet you sort of thing. And that was after a couple of days. So, Mm. yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And I always get the impression with her that I, she seems like the type that she's so hands-on with everything creatively, obviously her look, her videos, her music. Is that the case in the studio as well? Is she quite hands-on with maybe overseeing production or that kind of thing? Um, yes, I think so. I mean, um, yeah, I think so. I know that she's a, like a she was super into the music that we were making and really quite emotional because – the songs that we were doing were quite intense and I just remember her being 100% in the song and, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's amazing. Yeah. Um, the production, uh, she tr- we were working with um, Fernando Garibay at the time and I think she really trusted his process as well and it was a great collab. Yeah, it was cool. Mm. And um, a bit differently from that, but you became, so in 2018 you became an APRA AMCOS ambassador and um, I've had a little oh, yeah. look into them because I, I, I didn't know them. So um, so they help music creators get paid for their work, basically. And it gives music users easy ways to legally pay, uh, you know, for what they like. So um, is this a cause that's close to your heart, I'm guessing? And how did you come to be involved no, in it? So, yeah, so APRA AMCOS are the um, royalties collection agency for Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, every time Sia writes a song... Every time Gautier writes a song, every time someone writes a song and it gets played anywhere in the world, they collect the royalties and distribute that to their members. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, I've been a member of that for years because I've I've got co-writes on a bunch of songs that I've done. Um, but so it was quite a quite a big honour for them to ask me to be an ambassador. And I basically go around preaching about how great it is and to make sure you sign up and become a member because it's how you get paid. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was really cool. And not to mention, I did this awesome thing called Songmakers through them, where we go into high school and teach high school kids how to like produce their own music, which is so cool. Oh wow. That is cool. And two, yeah. so the two branches of things. So um, first of all, what, so why, you know, you said you go around sort of preaching about it, as you said, why is it so important, you know, to highlight that everyone needs to basically get paid? I mean, it is kind of obvious, but uh, what kind of things do you preach about when you're doing that? Um, well, I think that, well, you know, every single time you write a song, you generate a royalty from that. You have ownership of that. You have songwriting royalties. And so, um, every time a hairdresser plays it, every time it gets played at a football stadium, every time it gets played uh, on the radio, every time <laughs> it gets played live, and there's people there listening to it, those people pay a license fee. And that license fee goes back to the artist. Um, and of course, we all know why we need to get paid because, well, for starters, we need to eat, we need to pay rent, but mm-hmm. also we need money to pay people to record our records and so it's it's a business model that has kind of been blown apart by the fact that people don't really pay for music anymore but songwriting royalties is always going to be something that will make money and um what about the work you said about when you were working with some kids or teenagers was it what what do you do there yeah high school kids so um they choose so there's a couple of schools that will be selected by APRA AMCOS and they'll choose the 16 best music students in that school and they don't have to be part of the music program. They can just be like really into songwriting or whatever and they get them in a room and they put a songwriter and a producer in the room with them and teach them um, techniques on songwriting and recording and production and it's super inspiring. It's really fun. They have a great time and it's like a bit of a reward for them for being such um, great students. Mm. Okay. And then are they quite into it then as well? It sounds like they are. Oh, big time. Like I've, I've never had anyone in the program who's been like, this is shit, I don't want to do this. They're all like, wow, why can't we do this every day at school? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't remember anything cool like that coming around when we were at school. I think we used to have no. a policeman come around no. and tell us not to smoke and that's about it. For sure. That's exactly the same as my experience. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty the same guy. They just wheeled him out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I saw as well that you shared um, an app for Amcos post about um, mentorships for women in music and that you'd love to be part of it. So um, yeah. it's hard not to label female producers as such because there are so few of them in comparison to yeah. them. So it's horrible to be like, I'm a female producer. You know, you're just a producer or whatever, but it is a bit of a thing, I suppose. Yeah. But, so is it, do you, what do you think about that? About, you know, it's obviously a very I, low statistic hmm. and, you know, what what do you think can be done to kind of turn that around a bit or raise awareness? Yeah, it, it, it is a low statistic. And the funny thing is there's so few statistics about that low statistic that the at last kind of count by someone, mm. the statistic was 2%. Yeah, it's unbelievable. 2% of women are music producers, and I, of, of, sorry, producers are women. And uh, and that's, um, that's wild <laughs> to really me, considering so many women are writing music. Um, and that's not to say that, 
you know, women have to work with women at all, but just having that possibility would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, look, I don't know how I feel about it that much. I just, I think anyone who wants to do it should be able to do it. And that's why mentorships are so important to me because, like I said before, you learn the rules at uni, but you don't learn how to be a music producer at uni. You learn that from being in the studio with someone. Mm. And so if I can offer that opportunity to someone who would like to learn from a female producer, then bring it on. I'm all for it. Mm. And why do you think it's important to remove those barriers for women? And, you know, they're interested in getting into music production, but maybe they feel a bit put off just that first step, you know? Yeah, well, it's bizarre because there's so many kids at unis and colleges and all these like technical colleges are teaching people music production. There's so many girls there mm. or young women, I should say. And then something happens after that moment to career where they drop out, they drop off mm. and I don't know where they go. And so to give one opportunity or a few opportunities to people who are trying to bridge that gap into a career is like, there's a there's a niche there for, mm-hmm. for, for for there's a need there I should say and so that's what I'm trying to like you know help out with as much as I can yeah. you know apart from the fact I have to have my own career and like work and stuff too but just I think that that role modeling and that niche uh, sorry that that uh, mentoring is so important mm, definitely um, okay hmm. and when you're not in the studio you do a lot of songwriting as well don't you so just curious what comes easier to you and do you split your time sort of equally between the two no, look, I'm I'm a producer, engineer, that mm-hmm. a mixer. That's my thing, totally. But just in the last few years, I've really, um, I think, because people assumed I was a songwriter, they kept putting me on sessions to write with people, mm-hmm. and I was like, I was like, oh shit, this is totally out of my comfort zone. And little by little, I'm like, I'm really enjoying this, and I actually feel like I'm contributing, and like mm-hmm. I'm coming up with some really interesting shit. And so I started, um, So and so now, like I said before, in this lockdown, I've had all this, well, not a lot of time, i got two little kids, but I feel like I've had a bit of time to just write, mm. and it's been so fun. I've been doing it with friends as opposed to, like, people who I've been paired with, and it's been really, really fun. Mm. Okay, well, that's great to, yeah. you know, you've used this time creatively, maybe unexpectedly as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I know we touched on this a bit earlier, you um, obviously you share your passion for music and audio production by providing insight and, you know, a bit of help and guidance for aspiring engineers. So just wondering what what are, you know, a few bits of key bits of advice that you give them when you do that? Yeah, I, you know, I'm all about like super obvious practical stuff that Mm -hmm. people still seem to overlook and that's like, don't be late. <laughs> like I I was always the first to arrive and the last person to leave on sessions and I feel like that's how I kept my job for years um, because you don't have to know everything. You just have to be there, be present and want to learn and be helpful and all those things. And like it sounds super obvious but honestly a lot of people, you know, stuff it up. <laughs> yeah. It's um, good to start with the basics though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. It's the basics, man. It's like just just want to be there. Want to be there more than the thousands of other people that want to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, like you just have to want it so bad because this is such a great 
great career, great job. But so many people want to do it. And if you genuinely aren't going to be interested, you're not going to, you're not going to be there in 10 years. No, you need that passion, don't you? You need it. I mean, and why wouldn't you want it, you know? And if you just don't have it, go and do something else, you know? Yeah. Um, and that sounds brutal, but it's, I'm, I'm just trying to stop people from wasting a bunch of their time. No, that's fair. That's a good piece of advice, I think. And mm. um, going on to, let's have a few examples of your music and stuff that you've worked on. So the first one I'm going to play a little clip of is Amanda Palmer, Black Smoke. So let's have a little listen mm. to this one. I'll be sleeping under stars tonight Not sure exactly where I'll be Maybe underneath the pale moonlight Or maybe underneath the tree Black smoke Riding in the sky tonight Everything will be alright If you This is a really nice track and obviously it's um special as well so you co-produced this and it's for the bushfire Bene- benefit album with amanda so uh, from earlier on this year obviously yeah. horrendous fires yeah. in australia so um what was it like to work on this one yeah it was really interesting because i got a call from my manager saying oh no who was it from i got i got a call from someone saying do you want to go and do a four-hour session with amanda palmer she's in town and she wants to record a song as a bushfire benefit thing and i was like yeah, sure. You know, sounds great. Turned up to the studio and Amanda and I um, just had a really great working relationship, I guess, mm-hmm. and it went really well and it ended up being like a whole day session. And then at the end of the day, she's like, I've still got more stuff I want to do. do you, are you free tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Let's do tomorrow as well. And it ended up being a whole session. We ended up doing an entire album and got all of these guests people to come in and play and sing and everything it was like a it's like a telethon for um (laughs) the bushfire benefit Mm -hmm. thing which was so cool because we had the most horrific summer of bushfires and everything in this country it was like it was end of days kind of stuff it was Mm. so horrific um and um we needed money and a lot of people and amanda was here she was touring at that time and i think she got really emotionally caught up in it all and was like i've got to do something for these people and um so we made a record and that that is a cover of an emily waramura song Mm -hmm. um so so and it's sung by claire bowditch and amanda so um there you go beautiful yeah what an amazing (laughs) project to be a part of you know obviously a horrific time in you know, everyone's lives, especially in Australia, but if you can just do a little part mm. towards, you know, like you say, helping raise money towards it, um, that's amazing. Yeah. She made a bunch of money. And uh, and the other thing that really um, I was super excited about was the fact that the money was going to a charity called Fire Sticks Alliance, which is an Indigenous um, education program mm-hmm. who teach um, like Aboriginal Australian um, firefighting techniques. 
So it's basically prevention. So like what can we do to this land that Aboriginal people have lived on for millions of years to stop catastrophic bushfires like this? Mm. Um, So learning from those ancient cultures and um, such a cool um, organisation to make money for. Yeah, definitely. That is incredible. Love that project. Yeah. Um, so yeah. other other examples of your work. This one's very different. So this one is obviously it's not a, a benefit album or anything like that. So this is um Shepherdson, Yeah, Shepherdson Airplane. So this is um Citrus. So let's have a little listen to this one. Completely different vibe, obviously. Mm-hmm. obviously completely different sound on that one so yeah i I gave um, you i gave you some different stuff no it's good it's good a a nice um it's nice to see you know the different mix of things that people do and different genres that they work across so um yeah it's cool i know you you finished that one in um earlier well in february i think um with with the band from melbourne and you said two of the four members are from the peep temple which is a legendary melbourne band that you've done three albums with yeah yeah, um, I chose it because it's like probably the you know the Amanda Palmer thing, and then the and then the Shepherd and Airplane record were the two records that I finished right before like lockdown, basically. Oh, okay, so yeah. they've been on they've been on my mind, and um, so Shepherd and Airplane are this awesome kind of noise band, and some of their other songs are a bit more post punk kind of thing, and. Mm-hmm. Um, the Peep Temple, I did three albums with those guys and then they, well, two of the guys from that band started this other band, Shepherd and Airplane, and they got me to do the record and I just I love it. I, you know, recorded it in the on a, on an Eve board and mixed it on a SSL, you know, classic kind of, mm-hmm. um, yeah, awesome technique, recorded it to tape um, and enjoyed it thoroughly. Mm. <laughs> And uh, what do you like about using SSL? I've seen a few, I think it's on your Instagram, you post, you know, quite a few pictures of working on a huge SSL desk in the studio. Is that your go-to one? No, it's just if I get a budget, I, you know, I I know that desk extremely well. I know how to make it, I know how to make it scream. So I just (laughs) go in there and turn everything up really loud, get all the lights flashing and usually sounds pretty good. (laughs) Let's hope so, yeah. (laughs) So it's, it quite suits your workflow then, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of different workflows and honestly it's dependent on budget. So, um, you know, best case scenarios, I get to mix it on a board and but, but it's not just getting to mix it on the board, it's having the days in the studio. So, like, if someone um, can afford for me to be there for the amount of time that I need to be there to mix a whole album, then I'll do it. But having said that, I mixed that whole album in like three days. So it wasn't, 
it wasn't super outrageously expensive or anything. I mean, they're a, you know they're an indie punk band from Melbourne, so mm, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a huge budget. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, but then you know I, I've mixed the record in the box last week because I had to, yeah. you know, and it's and it sounds it sounds great, it sounds killer. Mm. Um, you know, you can make it work with whatever budget you've got. Yeah, definitely. If if budget was no option, no object, sorry, um, mm. would you prefer analog? Mm. Do you think? Um, personally, I would, but it depends on the record. It depends what you're mixing. Yeah, you know, sure. it really it depends what you're recording. It depends on your mixing, and always, like you can't, you kind of can't forget that. Like people do get caught up in the whole uh, analog just sounds so warm, but that's bullshit. If you're not going for that sound, like that's the worst case scenario. You know, <laughs> so you just gotta you just gotta judge every project by its own. Um, what you want from it Mm -hmm. yeah exactly um okay so and uh, i'm not sure where you budget wise what you did with this one but this is um the next track is courtney barnett keep on so yeah listen to this one this is another really nice example isn't it of just completely different sound different genre yeah um so let's have a little listen to this and have a chat about this one these are muesli and ice cream days like this one this is like a kind of strange combination of bob dylan and i think it's uh what is it cheryl crow vibes i'm getting you know all i want to do oh sweet love That's it great <laughs> <laughs> yeah what was um, it like to work on this well, one I, then? yeah i love this because like so i i know courtney i've recorded courtney a few times we're from the same town so like you know the studio where i work a lot is five doors down from the milk records mm-hmm. kind of uh, headquarters, but so I did an album for Milk Records, which is this, which is what this is from, Milk on Milk, and it's a compilation record of all the milk artists covering other milk artists. Okay, and so and so this song is Courtney covering Loose Tooth's song Keep On, mm-hmm. and I had I mixed Keep On off the Loose. Loose Tooth record. Oh, cool. <laughs> so full circle I, then. Yeah, so I've done like two versions of the same song, two very different versions of the same song. And um, it was so much fun. And I just, I was, I loved the original. So I was like, fuck, you know, you better not, not stuff it up. And she came in and just had this super drawl, like relaxed Courtney Barnett vibe to it. And it's super cool. I love it so much. Mm. And, um, I hadn't listened to it until I listened to it before I sent it to you. And I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. I was like, damn, I wish I'd turn the tambourine down a bit. But it sounds, I love it. It sounds so great. <laughs> it sounds great. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, what you were saying before about all the different sounds on all the songs. Um, 
I was so glad that I was a sound engineer before I called myself a producer because I learned how to record every single thing for every single instrument. And so just having all those tools in my kit when I decided to call myself a producer was so awesome because I had all these different, like, um, my palette of colours was so varied mm-hmm. and like it's it's so cool to listen back to all the different kinds of songs that I've recorded because they sound so different to each other. Yeah. Yeah, they really do. It's really you know yeah. it's nice to see that you can maybe some people get pigeonholed well by accident or perhaps they do it on purpose, you know, go down the indie track or whatever. But it's nice, I guess, creatively to work on a different range of things. I I think so. I mean everyone's different but I that's that's I, I, you know, and that wasn't ever really my goal. It just happens to be the case. Like I've been asked to do a lot of different things and I love that. I love that. And I love, um, cause I love all different types of music, you know? So yeah, to just do one thing all the time would get a little bit boring. Yeah, it definitely would. And everything would literally sound the same. So yeah, I totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I yeah. know uh, we touched on, um, some of the tech you use earlier, but I know you use, um, Pro Tools. So, um, are you a long time user? Yeah, I mean, I learned on Pro Tools in when I was at uni in like far out two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. Um, Pro Tools, like uh, you know, a slightly earlier <laughs> iterations of it, mm-hmm. and I've just followed it because it, every studio I've ever walked in around the world has it, and I know how to use it, and <laughs> like it, I'm just quick on it. Yeah. Um. So that that's why, and I think because it's just so much like a tape machine, I I. Uh, it, it makes sense in my brain mm-hmm. how it works. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And yeah. like I said, you've been using it for ages. You know, it, it suits how you work. You know it inside out, I'm guessing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I do. I, I do know it inside out. And I, um, I try, I, you know, I sort of try to use other programs occasionally just so that I sort of know kind of what to do on them, but I'm not proficient on any of them really. Mm. Okay, well, you know, you've yeah. got your own thing. If you can use it, you know, that's all good, isn't it? I got it? my thing. I got <laughs> yeah. my thing, yeah. <laughs> and I know um, perhaps more unusually, you like to use um, GP9 tape, just making sure I was saying that right there. So um, how long have you been using that for yeah. then? Is that something that, you know, when it suits yeah. it, obviously it brings that analogue warmth if the project, you know, calls for it? Exactly. So, like, for example, that second song that you played there, the Shepherd and Airplane record, that was recorded to tape, and that was that's exactly the right song for it. Like. Yeah. Um, a band in a room, playing loud, straight to tape, making it all nice and toasty, and then we dump it into Pro Tools and do. Well, actually, I did a lot of the overdubs on that one too, the tape, because because they're only a they're only a four piece, so I had a few extra tracks, so we'd put any extra guitar parts or whatever down to tape, and then dump it to Pro Tools. But I just for that kind of thing for me, like a real live band in a room sounds so good mushed together on a tape I just love it mm-hmm. yeah it's you're right yeah. that, that was a really good example of it and where to use it because it just captures that kind of sound that you wanted perfectly doesn't it yeah exactly but then something like so the Courtney song um I wouldn't do it to tape because for starters um well you just gotta use your intuition on these things it's because it was a cover I just had the feeling that she might not know it that well and so I figured we would be doing a lot of drop-ins um, and drop-ins are fine on tape but you've only got a few before the edit starts to sound a bit funky so mm-hmm. I don't know you just kind of make those decisions based on case-by-case basis yeah judgment yeah 
Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I know um, at home you've got a universal audio twin for mixing and recording. So I'm guessing yeah. is that enabling you to you know easily carry on working during lockdown? Yeah, for sure. And it, and it, I have access to all my plugins. I can chuck it in a suitcase and carry it around high schools all around the country. Because when I was doing that stuff. I was able to literally put all of my kit in a little carry-on like uh, Pelican case and chuck it on the plane and see it wherever I ended up, you know. So mm-hmm. just really, really handy for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's probably a little bit old now. I probably need to update that, but it works for me really well at the moment. And I'm very, like in lockdown, I'm very hesitant to change anything <laughs> in case course, everything yeah. stops working and then I have to like go and see people. Yeah. Mm. So what are your some of the favourite things you can do with uh, with this? Um, I think just the fact that I have all access to all the Universal Audio plugins. Also, the preamps sound really great. So, like, you can get a recording of an acoustic guitar in someone's bedroom and it actually sounds fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's cool. I mean, the conversion's great. You know, I've mm-hmm. never had any issues with that. And I'm not a super, like, nerd in that way. Like, you know, I don't yeah. sit there and compare, like, uh, compare stuff. Yeah. But I but, but I do know when, some, when I'm not happy with something and if it doesn't sound right and if I can narrow that down to the audio interface, then that's a problem. Mm. But I've never had that problem with my Universal Audio Twin. So yeah. it's all good. Yeah, yeah. That's great to hear. And um, what about some of your favourite plugins then that you mentioned? Which ones stand out to you and how are you using them? Yeah. Um, I love, I mean, I love the sound toy stuff. I always have. Mm. I also probably use more than I should the the, um, the Slate stuff. So the, um, the VMR, mm-hmm. Virtual Mix Rack. And although it's slightly noisy, but, it, but it's fine. It has lots of cool... Um, things that you can do with it. I love the air on it. So you mm-hmm. can just dial in a tiny little bit of air in the top end and it just opens up that whole range, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my probably my favourite is the Oxford inflator because I don't even know what it is. It's some sort of inflator, but I put it on at the end of the mix and it makes everything sound better. <laughs> as long as yeah. it works then. Do you use that on a lot of your stuff then? I use that on everything. I use it on everything. On yeah. everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. It must really uh, be doing its work for you then. <laughs> I use it on everything except stuff I do on board because I do I use it on everything I do in the box. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Um, I know in terms of mics you've got a Newman TLM one oh three and a Bear Dynamic DT seven seven zero or maybe a couple actually. Um so what is it about these two mics that really stand out for you? Have you had them both a while? Uh, so the the Neumann is uh, it's a yeah it's just a condenser microphone that I could afford that I use at home so it's just really good for like any like overdubs or last minute recordings I have to do it sounds fantastic but in the studio I use you know better slash more expensive microphones mm-hmm. but um but that's just a good all rounder it's great for acoustic guitars it's great for vocals backing vocals all that kind of shit. Um, uh, the DT770 is actually my headphones. Yeah, I meant so headphones. I, I realised as I um, said that, no, headphones, yeah. No, no, that's cool, <laughs> yeah. I use them um, because I know them so well and actually 
they started kind of dropping out last week and I had to go and um, ask a buddy if he could re-solder them for me because he's better at soldering than I am. Mm -hmm. And and he did it, but he goes, he took one look at them and goes, geez, these have seen a few sessions. And I was like, oh, are they really that gross? <laughs> You've literally worn them out. <laughs> I, think, I think I need to like give them a bit of a bath or something. But anyway, um, so they, I just know them really well. And then I've got um, some Genelec speakers that I can mm-hmm. reference um, stuff, but my spare room isn't that big. You know, just working from home is not an ideal scenario for me at the moment, no. but in the studio, I usually work with Genlec 1031As and NS10, both of which I have at home, but my room just isn't the right size for those kind of speakers. So, yeah. you know, you do what you can. Yeah, <laughs> I've also got some adjusting. little Genelec. <laughs> yeah, totally. I've got some little Genelecs that I use too, and they're, they're, they're great. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what is it about Genelec that you like so much and why are they so, I guess, crucial to your workflow? Yeah, you know, funnily enough, I didn't like them when I first heard them, but um, I used to when I used to work with Ben in London, he had these really great tannoy speakers that I mm-hmm. absolutely loved. But, um, but when I came back to Australia, every single studio had these 1031As and I was like, Oh, I hate these speakers, blah, blah, blah. They're so mid-rangey. And then I um, – oh, no, sorry, there's no mid-range. But then the NS10s had loads of mid-range mm-hmm. that kind of like made up for it. And I eventually just got really used to them. And now I can't not have them. I just – I know exactly what they sound like and, and that's what I use. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to get a pair um, – to get a pair secondhand off someone and they have such great lineage like everyone who's owned them from new has been amazing and so mm-hmm. i'm just so excited to, to, to own them yeah oh so you've totally backtracked then <laughs> on what on the genelex you love them now <laughs> i love them now i absolutely yeah. love them now um yeah they're great and, the, and, the <laughs> and now when i hear uh, so when I hear other speakers now, I'm like, oh, wow, this is not the bottom end. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> a real convert. Who cares? As long as you can hear the song. Yeah, exactly. You know, I listen to, um, I'll put on like, you know, a Paul Simon record or something and try and get a really good reference just because they have such great tones or like in all ranges. It's good mm-hmm. to listen to that and reference. Um, yeah, you know. Awesome. Good. And um, I guess yeah. um, I know everything's a bit question mark at the moment. If you can envision a time when things maybe go a little bit more back to normal, have you got any plans or anything you'd like to do at a certain point, you know, work on new music, you know, just get back in the studio, whatever it may be? Yeah. Um, well, look, I mean, I don't I don't mean to sound um, anything here, but Australia is kind of, um, luckily, our death rate's like way, way lower than it is there. Yeah. Um, so we probably will get back to work fairly soon. Um, I'd say in the next month I'll probably be able to go back in the studio and probably record a record because oh, cool. um, I've got a couple. I've got a couple lined up, so uh, um, I'll probably go and do that and probably mix them in the studio as well. I, I mean, I don't think life's going to get back to normal anywhere anytime soon, but I will definitely be able to get back in the studio soonish. Um, I've also been asked to record just next week, actually, um, or maybe not even record, maybe just mix a bunch of stuff. We've got this, like, live thing going to TV here and um, they need some backing tracks for it, so I'm going to put together some backing tracks and mix that up and, 
send that over so that's potentially a whole new avenue of of uh, work mm. for us is all the live the live streaming and live TV music stuff that's going on at the moment. Mm. That's great. That's, yeah. that's nice to hear that, you know, perhaps things might go slightly in the direction of back to normal soon uh, for you guys over there. Um, that's great to hear and everyone kind of get on with their lives or try and get back to normal, basically. Yeah, I mean, I hope it doesn't go back exactly how it was. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't really working out how it was, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to know, yeah. I guess, that... Yeah, it, it'll just be a bit of a change. I mean, everything's a bit the same at the moment, isn't it? So, yeah, that's that's good to know. At least uh, things are improving slightly there. I, I would say, though, that I think a lot of people – I know I know a bunch of people have really struggled with writing in this time, but I also think a lot of people haven't. And so there are going to be a lot of people that want to get in and record, which is fantastic, you know. Yeah, great for business as well, I guess, a bit cynically. But, um, no, it's all good. Good for business, but yeah. good for good for the soul too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. thanks for joining us so much today, Anna. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you and you know catch up with what you've been getting up to and hopefully what you will be getting up to in the hopefully not so distant future. Yeah, thanks so much, Alice. It's been great to talk to you. Oh, you too. All right. Thanks then, Anna. Cool. Cheers, bye. Thanks, bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.